Hello and welcome to the Tally Ho podcast, all about the classic TV show The Prisoner, with me Eason. And me Bex. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Rick Davey, who runs the Unmutual website, which is a fan website all about The Prisoner. Yeah, it's a great resource for Prisoner fans. There's huge amounts of information on there about the show, about what's going on at the moment, fan meetups, walking tours. Uh, every time new nuggets of detail get dug up about the show, they report on it. It's a, a great website that we recommend for fans of The Prisoner. And one of the reasons why we got in touch with Rick was actually to do with the fact that with the show hitting 50 years and still being thought about in such high regards, one element of it, and a very important element of it, is the fact that the fan base is keeping the show alive, even though it hasn't been on the air properly in a very long time. And having the ability to seek out this kind of information and having a centralised resource for it, I think is really important for making sure that people are able to stay abreast of news in the world of the prisoner and know where to go if they need to find out more. Because the show, as we've said many times over the last few podcasts, is pretty timeless. And people are discovering it all the time. And it's really cool that there are places where they can find out more about it, even though they're coming to it for the first time in 2017, in exactly the same way as people who are coming to it for the first time in any one of the years over the last 50 of them. <laughs> Although the website's only been running for, I think, about 14 years. <laughs> so thanks to Rick for joining us and hope you enjoy the interview. So we're joined this time by Rick Davey, who runs the Unmutual, which is a fan site for fans of The Prisoner, and is also the author of The Prisoner, The Essential Guide. Hi, Rick. Hi, nice to speak to you. And you, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, it's a pleasure. So when did you first encounter The Prisoner? Well, I was 10 years old. I wasn't alive at the time of the original broadcast, nor the first the major repeats which happened throughout the 1970s. It was 1983, um, I was 10. Um, I was kind of on a diet of your staple BBC-type sci-fi, so Peter Davison here with Doctor Who, Blake Seven. I kind of liked Sapphire and Steel, but I wasn't sure if I understood it, <laughs> being that age. Um, and then my brother just turned around one day. He was 10 years older than me, so he'd seen The Prisoner in the 70s. And he turned around and said, there's a, a series on Monday night you might like it. It's called The Prisoner. It's about this guy who, you know, gets imprisoned in this strange town. That's basically all he said to me. And I said, oh, well, thanks a lot. Knowing that he knew my taste in TV and films, I kind of trusted him that this would be a good thing for me to watch. So I went up to my mum and said, look, I know it's school the next day, and I was still at primary school then, but it's 10 o'clock at night, but, you know, my brother says it's going to be good. I'm going to like it. So she very kindly let me stay up. I videoed it as well on my old top loader Akai VCR um, <laughs> so that I did watch it and then when I got home from school the next day I watched it again and I think the fact that I did that told me that this was something different because it wasn't often I'd, I'd you know, tape something and then watch it the very next day. I think I watched it three times before episode two came on the week after and I don't know if you know but when Channel 4 first showed this series in 83 they got a bit muddled with their ordering of the episode so episode number two was actually Many Happy Returns, which kind of seems odd to us now of being kind of experts on the series because in that episode he's been gone for months and that sort of thing. Um, but to a 10-year-old kid, 
seeing this series of where this episode of this series where nobody says anything for the first 20 minutes other than a couple of lines in German. And then there's a huge twist at the end of the episode. As a 10-year-old, I was absolutely hooked. So at that point, you know, there was never any doubt that I was then going to watch the rest of the episodes. I videoed as many as I could as well. So that, but that was my introduction to it, and it was just something that I still think the same thing now. I'm in my 40s. I'd never seen anything like it before. Obviously, as a 10-year-old, I hadn't seen that many things, but it was clear to me that that was different. And it, it, it spoke to me in, in a strange sort of way, uh, unlike other sci-fi, which is great and it's exciting and you want to see a good punch-up and, you know, you want to see some shooting and spaceships and things when you're that sort of age. <laughs> and it's the same now with, with my kids. Um, but this was something different, and I, I, I couldn't wait to see the next episode each week. And I never forgot the episode that I'd just watched. It would be in my mind for the entire week until yeah. the next episode. And when you sort of watched that first run, I mean, which... Which episodes really stuck out for you? Was it just the first one you watched, or did you find going through the run there were particular ones that have remained your favourites ever since? Do you know what? You're, you're exactly right. There are some which uh, sort of grabbed me then by the scruff of the neck and, and are still my favourites now. And there were some which, as I say, when you're 10, you forget things quite easily. Um, and I didn't video every episode. Our, our VCR was a bit temperamental, as they all were in the early 80s. So <laughs> you think you've recorded it, and then you just end up with some fuzzy, fuzzy picture. But the first episode, Arrival, is the most perfect hour of television I think that's ever been made. Um, Checkmate, I loved the first time round, um, and I still love it now. Um, Hammer into Anvil, I thought was great, and I still think it's great now. And the last episode, you know, still has a tremendous effect on me. I've seen it so many times because I've obviously had to research it for books, and, and um, I've been involved in putting together text commentaries for the new blu-ray set so i've had to watch it literally second by second and um, and the last episode still amazes me to this day as to what a, some people hate it but for me it's, it's an absolutely superb spellbinding piece of television the first and the last episode then for me and, and checkmate and hammer are, are fantastic too so you mentioned the commentaries for the dvd blu-ray this is the new box set that's coming up for the 50th anniversary that's correct yes and i was very um very flattered to be um approached to do text commentaries um uh, for each episode so basically every seven seconds it's an optional extra of course you you're not for this isn't forced upon you as you're watching but you can have a subtitles option um and i think they do them with the doctor who range every seven seconds some interesting fact or or something about what you're seeing on on the screen will pop up so I think for each episode, there's something like 350, 360 different pieces of information, um, which over the 17 episodes adds up to, to quite a bit. So there'll be, you know, if there's something interesting happening on screen, I'll tell you what the location is. If it's a car, I'll tell you what make and model of car it is. If there's a person on screen, I'll tell you, tell you who they are, where they first acted with McGowan, um, you know, what they thought about working on the series. There's some nice quotes as you go through as well. There'll be, you know, um, continuity errors and that sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, I've seen my fair share of The Prisoner over the last few months in doing that. Um, <laughs> but it, again, I'll tell you what's amazing is that you'd think you'd then be bored of it, but if you asked, offered me the chance to sit down and watch some episodes again tomorrow, I'd love that. And that's why The Prisoner is so special. It, you, you don't get bored of it because each time you watch it, and it's an old saying that gets overused, but you do see something new, either in the plot or something visually, because it was so fantastically shot, that you'd never noticed before, and especially on Blu-ray. You know, that's the... That's the original series. Can we be controversial and uh, and ask you what you thought of uh, the other reimaginings of the prisoner in various in various formats, whether it's been 
know, Shattered Visage, the graphic novel, some of the novelizations, or even yeah. the 2009 uh, remake stroke, reboot stroke sequel? <laughs> yes, no, no problem. I mean, uh, the first thing, I, 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 uh, one thing I do love is I do love to see someone try and do something new. Even if it's rubbish, I like the fact that someone's been inspired by the series to create something. So, you know, whether that's your, your real bottom end of the scale, you know, really poor sort of fan poetry or, or fan fiction, which you can come across, which, which is mainly, mostly pretty dreadful, or something like a, a remake. I, I am one that's positive about someone trying to do something. Yeah. My opinion of most of what has, has been made is pretty negative. Of the novelizations, I think the, the, the best one was uh, one, uh, 2005, I think it was. Jonathan Blum and Rupert Booth wrote a book called The Prisoner's Dilemma. And that, that was nice, because it had some nice humour in it. Um, Andrew Cartmel's Miss Freedom was a follow-up to that. That was okay. I don't like the original novelizations. I, I can't think of any of the fan-written novels that I particularly like. Shattered Visage, Visage was okay. I thought it went beyond the original premise a bit, a bit too far, although I appreciate the artwork of it. The remake television series, I really didn't like. And I'll tell you why I didn't like it. I think the reason that the original series worked so well is obviously it had talented filmmakers behind it. It had a genius driving the whole thing in Magoon. You then had people like Mark Stein, Tom Lynn, really adding their element to it. But it was almost accidental. It ended up being um, something that was really interesting and dynamic because of all those elements just came together at the, the same time in the right way to create something special. The reason that the remake didn't work is that they tried to do that. When you try and be enigmatic, you, you don't end up being because you've tried to do it. You can only be enigmatic naturally. And that's why the original series worked so well because everyone was doing their bit. Everything went into the melting pot and almost by luck. And a lot of things in the original series were luck, like the you know, Rover, how Rover came to be was, was you know, serendipity, if you like. Um, the remake, because they tried to be enigmatic, it was never going to be. It just looked false and forced. If they'd have just made it as a, a TV series and called it, you know, Man Out of Nowhere or something, that's just a title I made up, but didn't have it copying so many of the prisoner elements and didn't call it the prisoner, it might have been a reasonable sci-fi series. Yeah. But because they tried so hard to do what the original did, when the original did it naturally, they were always going to fail. One thing I do like, though, I do like the big finish uh, reimagining, the audio series that uh, uh, Series 2 has just come out, as you probably know, with Mark Elstob as number six. I really like that because I, 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 Nick Briggs saw the series at around the same sort of time as I did. He was a young lad when he first saw it. So it almost feels at times that if I was going to write some, some fictional episodes of The Prisoner, I would come up with similar ideas to what he has. So when I'm listening to them, okay, they're not as good as the original. Nothing is ever going to be. But they kind of have a, a good feel to them that I like. Um, and it's almost as though he's written the ideas with, with me in mind. It almost feels like a bespoke um, uh, concoction, which you can't say about all television or audio drama or whatever. But I really enjoy the, um, the Nick Briggs um, reimaginings. I think they're very good. Um, that's about the most positive, I think, spin-off or, or reimagining that there's been. There's been a few fan films over the years that, that you know friends of mine or whatever have made, and they're great fun, and you can watch them and have a laugh about them. But obviously, they're not they're not a quality product. And I think the same is probably true of the uh, most of the novels, as I say. Um, yeah. How did you first get involved with the Unmutual? Okay. Well, um, 
It was founded, actually, uh, by a friend of mine called Lou Stringer, who's a, a very famous cartoonist who some of you, or some of your listeners might know. He does uh, uh, the Beano, Toxic Comic. He's had a, a long-running, various long-running characters called Combat Colin that people might know. And he, he's done Transformers Comic and uh, that sort of thing in the past as well, and Viz. Um, and he founded a website in 2002, I think it was, basically to show that you could provide prisoner information for free. You didn't need to, to send money off to fan clubs. You didn't have to have a magazine in the post. It was kind of not quite at the birth of the Internet, but just as the Internet started to get popular, he thought, you know, the prisoners are a great series. You shouldn't have to, to pay to get a magazine or, or join a fan club or whatever. So he set up the, the website originally. It's just sort of a one-page news site, and it basically took off, and it got too big. Uh, for him to be able to kind of do it justice, really. He wanted to keep it updated every day with all the latest bits and pieces, and he wasn't able to do that. So I decided to take it over, and since then it's kind of kind of grown, really, um, into a bit of a bit of a monster. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the world's biggest site by quite some way to do with the, the prisoner. I mean, I don't want to kind of sound boastful, but um, um, and we, we, we obviously raise money for charity as well, which is kind of probably the most important thing about it, is that we any, any income that comes in gets... Uh, uh, sent to my local children's hospice, which is obviously a, a far more important cause than uh, some fans wanting to talk about a television series. Um, but yeah, so I, I became involved because uh, the original founder of it, Lou Stringer, couldn't um, uh, do it anymore. It was it was kind of too much work, and he had obviously his own deadlines to meet. So I said, well, I'll, I'll happily do it. And um, because I love the series, and because I love investigating little things about the series, whether it's locations or vehicles that are used in it, or, or all the little things that I'm interested in, the, the internet lends itself really well to that because you can update it quickly. Whereas if you send, you know, a magazine out to somebody and you just want to add or change something to an article, you can't really do that. You can't send them some tipex in the post and say, "I'll oh, just change that little bit there and add, add this." So, I think the internet lends itself really well to um, to, to cult TV um, in that uh, respect. So that's kind of why I do it, and I've been, I've been doing it for 14 years now. So um, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. It still seems to be growing and that's what's amazing is that you think an old tv series would kind of slowly fade away as some old tv series has but what's amazing about the prisoner is that there are new fans and there's a new generation of fans each time and i recently showed the the, the series to my family my wife had seen a few episodes and she loved port Marion, but she she kind of didn't really get the into the prisoner very much and the kids had never seen it so i think the time's right now to to show the series to the family and what was interesting is that my eldest uh, which is my daughter and my wife kind of wasn't their cup of tea they're kind of more into your, your Holby City and your casualty kind of thing my eight-year-old kind of was probably slightly too young for it he enjoyed you know the action sequences and the car chases and that sort of thing but I think what was really interesting is that the one that was glued to it was my 10-year-old <laughs> I think that's amazing being that I was 10 I was glued to it and he was glued to the same episodes that I was I think that shows you that it doesn't matter how old you are yeah. if, you, if, you're, if you can just get to grips with it it will speak to you in the same way as it would speak to someone who's 70. You know, my 10-year-old wouldn't know the Cold War, what the Cold War was. Um, I didn't know what the Cold War was in 1983 when I first watched it, really. I was 10. Um, so it doesn't matter where it was set, what time it was set in. It's a universal program, and um, I think that's what comes across from people I hear from via the website when they get in touch and say that they've found the series. It doesn't matter where they're from. You know, you can be from North America, you can be from Britain, you can be from Japan, Africa, wherever. The themes are still the same. Being an individual, you know, living in a, in a, in a police state, if you like. I mean, it's probably more relevant now than it was in the 60s. Um, but, yeah, so doing the website has been a real eye-opener for that in, in 
speaking to people from around the world who get the same thing out of it as I did as a 10-year-old in East London in 1983. Some <laughs> 70-year-old in, in Tokyo in 2017 is getting exactly the same things from it. And I think that's probably unique for a TV series to do that, although I know you love your Twin Peaks. Um, you could probably <laughs> argue similar things for that, and maybe it may be lost at a push, but I still think the prison's pretty unique. Yeah, I think what's really striking about um, what you uh, are able to cover on The Unmutual is the fact that you know, it does go beyond um, a dissection of, you know, what happens in the show itself. It's a great hub to find out about uh, what's happened to members of the cast. It's great to find out about all the ongoing um, media that's related to it, be it books, TV, um, film-related things. If there are public events that are happening, I know that you always advertise um, the Prisoner walking tours as well, you know, on there. There's so much going on in the world of The Prisoner. And it's actually a really good place where you can find out everything you'd ever want to know about it. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. That is kind of the idea. I always felt that it should be like the, um, like the hub of a bicycle wheel. And if, if, if you want to go down a particular spoke of it, you know, let's say you're just into TV locations, there'll be a section for that there. If you do want to, to go on a walkabout or, or, or go to events, there's, there's the events. If you're interested in, as you say, what happens to the, the cast and crew, there's interviews and profiles of the various people and I try and cover all that on the news page as well. And then there's people that first watch The Prisoner, and they like The Prisoner, but from that, they've actually got more of an interest in Port Marion than they have The Prisoner, or <laughs> more of an interest in Patrick McGowan than they have The Prisoner. So many people I know found McGowan through The Prisoner and kind of don't really watch The Prisoner anymore, but they love his movies. <laughs> um, or I've got, got into Danger Man more than they, they have done The Prisoner by the end of it. So, yeah, thank you very much for your kind words. What I've tried to do is, is kind of cover everything so that if someone just wants to dip in, to a certain aspect of it they can obviously if anyone wants to take them take the whole lot on board and be interested in all of it if anyone else out there is as sad as me and wants to do that then they're very welcome as well but um yeah thank you um, that is kind of what i've aimed to do is to try and cover as many things as i can and uh, uh yeah the events are still very popular we had the, the location tours last weekend obviously this weekend is the 50th anniversary event in port marion which obviously sold out um so yeah exciting times 50 years on would you believe yeah, why do you think it's endured so much for a show that, you know, unlike something like Doctor Who, where it's it's still on TV 50 years on and it's still generating new stuff and, and finding new fans, why do you think something that you know, only lasted 17 episodes 50 years ago is still speaking to people now and still bringing in new fans and still so culturally relevant today? That's a very good question. Um... I think it's because it can be watched on different levels. Doctor Who can't really be watched on any other level other than it's an enjoyable sci-fi action-adventure romp. You can watch The Prisoner in that way as well. It's a great action-adventure series. If you just want to watch it on that level, you can. It's got, you know, typical 1960s ITC fare in it. There's always a, 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 a pretty girl guest star each week. There's normally a punch-up. If there's vehicles involved, there's a, there's a couple of car chases in the series. So if you want to just watch it as a standard spy adventure series, you can. But if you want to, you can look a little deeper and see what the series has to say. And I think that is, I used the word unique earlier, I think that is unique. I don't think there are many series that you can watch on an action-adventure level. And if you want to, look a little bit deeper and find out what the series is trying to say. And because the series says something about 
life in general, about society in general. Everyone can tap into that. As I say, whether you're born in the 1940s or whether you're born in the 1990s, society is all around you, no matter what era you live in. So the themes of the series are just as relevant to someone who was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And I say even more so now with, you know, the current government that we have and, and recent governments that we've had. And I don't think any other series does that. You can watch it on one level, either an action-adventure series, or you can have it as a whodunit that will make you think. Very rare do you have both mixed together. So at the end of every episode, you have a load of questions, that some of which you're never going to get the answer to, and it's left up to you to draw your own conclusions. And also visually, it's remarkable how it simultaneously looks like something wonderful from the 60s and yet also looks timeless it doesn't look like you're necessarily watching something from the 60s even though at the same time you are I'm probably not explaining this very well but it's um it, it doesn't look dated even though you can sense the era that it's from yeah I know exactly what you mean and uh, that's that's again down to the genius of of McGowan and his team really in choosing Port Merion for a start that could be anywhere in the world and in any time um in choosing, you know, the costumes and the, uh, you know, the striped canopies and so on. That kind of obviously has that kind of 1950s, 1960s holiday camp feel. But again, because it's all so generic with the pipe blazers and so on, again, they could be in any era. So you're absolutely right. And well, I think the key to all of it as well is that the people that were making it, the technicians, were so used to working on films that they treated each episode like making a feature film. Whereas if you you work on, you know, generic sci-fi shows and other ITC shows. It kind of was more of a production line um, kind of thing. Whereas, you know, Don Chaffee, who directed the first um, Port Merion shoot in, in uh, the summer of 66 or the autumn of 66, um, he'd just been working on, you know, massive feature films with Raquel Welch, you know. So to then be moving to television, he couldn't then change. So he was filming it like it was a film. And that gave it that fantastic quality that you see on screen. It is, you're absolutely right, it is visually stunning. So in terms of um, its sort of general iconography, what are your most memorable uh, features of sort of the prisoner style as well? Yeah, I think there are, and I'll, I am going to be predictable. I, I, you're probably hoping that I was going to come out with some really obscure shot and you'd think, wow, I've never really considered <laughs> that before. The, the scene in Arrival, where number six is walking through the, the centre of the village, number two is talking to him through a megaphone, the villagers, you know, walk past and, and say beautiful day and, and those sorts of things, and all of a sudden, you know, Rover appears, floats down, you know, gets that villager. Um, I, think, I think that, if you show that to anybody yeah. who has never seen the prisoner before and doesn't know what it is, if you showed them that, I guarantee you they would want to know what it was and then they would want to see the episode that it's from. <laughs> um, I, I can't imagine that anyone would watch that and see that and, and go, oh, I'm not interested in what that's about. I think that is, is, is a perfect in, in, encapsulation, if you like, of what The Prisoner is. It features Port Merrin, it features something mysterious, it features McGowan, and it makes you go, what was that? And that's how I feel when I watched practically every episode. It was a sense of wonderment at the end. Although some of the individual episodes obviously have a start, a middle and an end. You still have all the questions at the end of the episode. But I think that sequence, I think, pretty much sums up what The Prisoner is. There are other scenes which I think are fantastic. There's a scene in Dance of the Dead, which is just beautiful, where uh, number two and number six are standing on the beach. Um, and Mary Morris is in her Peter Pan costume. Yeah. Number six is in his tuxedo. And they have some dialogue there about, you know, 
what's that? That's something from my world in the sky. It's a, it's a plane. Oh, no, it's a flying fish. You probably know the sequence I'm talking about. <laughs> and it, that is a, a beautifully shot, beautiful dialogue. That, that, I could show that again. Again, I'd show that to anyone who's interested in television. I'm sure they'd sit there and just go, that was just a, a beautiful scene. There are, there are others too as well, but I won't bore you with all my, my list of favourite scenes. Just for the benefit of our listeners, we'll put some uh, links up on our website and also on Twitter as well. Um, where can people find uh, the Unmutual website and find out about all the great stuff it's doing? Oh, well, you're very kind. Thank you. Yes, um, it's www.theunmutual.co.uk is the main website. But we are also on social media. Um, so on Facebook, it's um, uh, the Unmutual Prisoner and Port Merion website. You can search for that. The link is facebook.com forward slash Unmutual website. And we've got around 5,000 followers on there. I try to put up some interesting information there which you wouldn't see on the main website. So although I cover all the news and... With the 50th anniversary upon us, there's lots of news because everybody seems to want to bring a book out or a comic out or something out at the minute. I try to um, put up some interesting facts that people might not know about the series. Kind of the sorts of things um, that are in the text commentaries on the next um, box set, but little tidbits that people might find interesting. Um, other people might find a bit too um, geeky-ish, but I try to put up some interesting facts on the Facebook page. And the Twitter kind of covers all the news as well. And that's, um, again, if you search for the unmutual uh, website on Twitter, um, it's twitter.com forward slash our mutual website, and um, you can find us on there. But yeah, so I try and update the website as often as I can. As I say, we do have these events regularly. The, the location tours that take place in, in London and the South East take place twice a year. Um, we were doing charity events in Port Marion up until a few years ago. Um, uh, we hope to do those um, again one day, hopefully. Um, there'll be some events in the new year, hopefully, as well in the London area with um, hopefully some special guests. Um, but yeah, if, if anyone that wants to get in touch, you can subscribe to um, email updates. So each time the website is updated, you get an email saying what's been updated and what the latest news is as well, so people can tie into it that way. But everyone is welcome. Whatever your views on the prisoner, you're, you're, it's free for all, and uh, <laughs> everyone is more than welcome. And, um, and what about the essential guide? Where can people get hold of that? Oh, thank you. Yes, it's, um, it's a little guidebook to the prisoner. Hopefully there's some something in there to interest even the most ardent fan that thinks they know it all. Hopefully there's some uh, interesting facts in there that people didn't know before. Um, there's also some previously unpublished photographs. I'm really delighted to have uncovered um, uh, an 8mm film of behind-the-scenes filming on the prisoner and also a sort of cache of uh, old sort of black-and-white photographs from the filming, which I've included in the book as well. Um, it's available in most bookshops, but you can certainly get it on Amazon. You can get it at Port Merion. You can get it from the publisher's website, which is quitmedia.co.uk. You can also buy it from the Unmutual, and if you do do buy it from there, then a small donation is given to, obviously, the Children's Hospice with every purchase as well. Um, so, uh, but yeah, if you go on Amazon, it's certainly on there. Uh, eBay, all the usual places. Your local bookshop might have it, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't chance it. So I'd, I'd, get it off, I'd get it off the interweb or from Port Merion if you're in Port Merion. Port Merion are stocking it. Um, it's 32 pages. It's only 2.99, so I don't think it will burn too many holes in your pocket. And uh, say, hopefully there'll be something of interest, either pictorially or information-wise as well. And if you've got friends that are kind of just discovering the series for the first time and just want to learn some of the basics, like how did Rover come about? You know, how was the series filmed? Why did they choose Port Merion? All that's in there as well. So it might make a nice um, gift for your pal who's kind of just discovering the uh, series for the first time. That's the end of the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Rick. Um, well, you're very welcome. I hope you enjoy the 50th anniversary celebrations that are coming up just around the corner. And we'll sign off in the way that uh, we have to uh, for Prisoner Podcast by saying, be seeing you.
Pisingi. So, thanks to Rick for joining us. We really enjoyed talking to him about all things The Prisoner. The Unmutual website is you know, a really great resource. You can find it online at www.theunmutual.co.uk. And there's also a Facebook group and a Twitter group, which are well worth following too. Once again, thank you for everyone listening to the podcast. We are able to be found on our Twitter page, at TFCAA. On Facebook, uh, the page is Time for Cakes and Ale. We have a website, which is timeforcakesnail.com, and that's where we're keeping everyone up to date with all of our news about our Tally Ho podcast and all of our other podcasts as well. Yeah, so if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on iTunes, on any of the big podcast apps like Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast Addict. If you look for Time for Cakes and Ale, you'll find all the Tally Ho podcasts along with all the other episodes that we do, so you can have a look at what it is you want to listen to. And as a preview of the next episode we'll be doing, we were very lucky to have a phone call with Alex Cox, who has directed films like Reaper Man, Sid and Nancy and is also a huge Prisoner fan who as we found out watched it on its original release um, <laughs> and he has just written a book which has come out electronically and is properly out I think in physical form in December which is all about the Prisoner and to find out more please listen to our next episode of the podcast yeah we'll see you then but in the meantime be, be seeing, seeing you, you. Thank you.